Automatons and Intensobots. Secure the borders of your work envelope. Fumble the 10 millimeter head into the gooey catch tank. And if this doesn't pass inspection, we're all going to the poorhouse. Because it's time to Morse tell to me. This show brought to you in binary. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this sweet nuggets of nectar that you are, this is Talk Tall to Me. A rapid prototyping outfit in the government-supported seed business district of Progrock, in which non-ferrous Nick and oil-hardened Omen will pull up the blueprints of every single track that magnetic rock band Jethro Tull has ever sent into production. We will calibrate the tolerance of the metal Martin Mill, lose David Pegg down a pilot hole, and sandblast until smooth the Robin Black Rack. And if we can run the CNC machine at full capacity without it catching fire, we may get the manifest approved by the hot-honed Claghorner, the dovetailed drum programmer, the Fairlight Fulcrum, the salmon farming spur gear, the Scottish trick with a big old personality, Ian No Allowance Anderson. All of that was factually accurate, including the fact that I am non-ferrous. You are one of the more non-ferrous people that I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot stick a magnet to me. I've tried recycling you so many times. <laughs> they say, oh, we don't take that. They leave me on the curb, and I just sit yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't rust because I'm no, not ferrous. No, you don't. You don't. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> this is an exciting day for a number of reasons. Oh, my gosh. One, we both woke up alive. Yeah, I mean, at, at our age, that's exciting. <laughs> Two... This is the final report from this fabulous album, A Crest of a Knave, that we have been so talkily talking about. We, we have talkily talked more than I ever thought we could talkily talk. Before we get into anything else on the song of the day, Nick, I keep meaning to bring this up every single episode, but Crest of a Knave rhymes with Crest of the Wave. That's, that's very valid. More to come at eight. Nick, what is the song that we are talking tall about today on this here podcast? I just, I need a public service announcement before we, we do talk tall today. Please do. On three, on the Ides of March, 2022, we got a review. And I, I don't think we read this on the podcast, so I want to read it now. It is from G-H-G-S-S-A-C-G. The review okay. is labeled smart and entertaining. Finally found a show that's a haven for us old school Tull fans. Love the deep dive and smart analysis of both music and especially lyrics. These guys are entertaining. Love the fun facts and theatrical asides. Only problem is it keeps me up at night as I usually use podcasts to put me to sleep, but I'm too interested to tune out. This is a great show. Glad you guys are so dedicated as so many podcasts start and fade out. Thank you. Oh. Now, Omen, yeah. judging by, by that write-up, how many stars do you think that would have earned? Oh, all the stars in the heavens. He sounds like it's uh, really, really likes it. Massive fan, right? Sure. That was a one-star review. 
So, G-H-G-S-S-A-C-G, if you are still listening to the podcast a year later, which I hope you are, I hope you're along with us, could you go back haven't in and make that... Haven't had a wink of sleep since. Five stars, if you haven't died of, of sleep exhaustion. <laughs> could you make that five stars, please? Sweet, sweet kisses for you. And also, thank you so much for writing in. Sorry, it's a bit late that we're getting to it. Not sure why. I, th- I think it's because it's a one star. It just didn't show up. Time is an ocean. Stars are gaseous giants. And we hope that you can send us more gas to burn. Yes. Please and thank you. Five stars. Without further ado, Nick, let us jump into the final track off of our listening to of Crest of a Knave, included as a bonus track on the album in 2005 in, in the remaster, also included in the 20 years of Jethro Tull Chunko album. Omnibus? There were many Chunko albums along the way. Across the years, there were many a Chunko album. Yep. And I am one of them. (laughs) Today, we're listening to Part of the Machine. So exciting. So very exciting. A favorite for you, and a pretty darn good one for me, too. Is it a favorite of mine? Isn't it? I thought you were super excited about it. Or was it Raising Steam that you were excited about? More at eight. Let's plug it into our aux ports and have a listen. Nick McGill. Oof. Omen. That was part of my machine. Part of your... Oh, it was. he was singing that to you? <laughs> part of, I left part of my machine in the shop. Let me go and get it. Go, go get that. That was the song, Part of Your Machine. Part of the machine. That was the song, Part of the Machine, by Jethro Tull. Nick, what is that? Uh, what's, your, what's your skin telling you? That I need to hydrate. Yeah. I'm going to be completely honest and say I had a bad, I had a bad mental health day today. I just want to say the fact that you can admit that and speak to that is really great. Thank you. You sicko. <laughs> Go get some <laughs> help. <laughs> but listening to this song and just like disappearing for literally six and a half minutes, I feel a little bit better. This song is, is really gosh darn good. You know, we, we joke a lot on this podcast and we still will. I think that one of the things that I've really come to appreciate is is just how meaningful this music is for people and and even more broadly, you know, what the role of music in people's lives is. It's so huge. It's so important. Yeah. For exactly what you just described. Yeah, it's easy to if you don't stop and and smell the the proverbial roses here with when it comes to music, and you just have it on the background when you're like cooking or on the radio while you're driving, you know, if you don't really experience it, it still fulfills a purpose. But every now and then there is an artist, a song, something that really does go to that next level. And yeah. and I, I encourage people to seek that out because it's pretty helpful. I remember, you know, the, the one of the BBC radio channels does... I don't remember what they call it. I'm sure the English listeners to our podcast will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, I think it's called Bach Month, and they play every single piece that J.S. Bach ever wrote. Bach Bach Month Turner Overdrive. Yeah, it's uh, it's 
Bachathon. No, Bachmonth Tuner Overdrive. There we go. I don't know what that means. We've got that. Bachman Turner Overdrive is a band from this era. They, I guess it just what I needed. It had the rhythm of a joke, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> anyway, my, my aunt said, you know, that she, she's, uh, she lives in London. She was like, it's impossible to really feel down during that whole month. Everyone just kind of floats around. Everyone who's listening to that BBC channel, I guess. But that Bach has such a profound effect on so many people that you can see everyone sort of chill out for that month. Wow. That's interesting. And it's much more pervasive there for everyone to be that exposed enough to it. Because if like a station did it here, like how many well, people Well, I think it's the it? circles in which my aunt tra- travels. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely valid. A small community, yeah. I just wanted to correct myself. The cars was just what I needed. Bachman Turner Overdrive is taking care of business. And you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, b- 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 baby. Okay. Wow. I'm done. <laughs> Most. <laughs> I'm sure that they, if if wedding bands had to pay royalties, I'm sure that, that they would get a lot of them. Yeah, BTO would, would still be in business. Yes, they would be taking care of business. They would be, yeah. Nick, so this song really this song really took you to some a place. It did, it did. I feel like it's been so long since we had a folk sound, it just like instantly transported me back. Yeah. Whenever I think about this song, when we were like leading up to doing this song, I only ever think about part of the machine. Right. <laughs> yeah, same. We're just a part of the machine. I forgot the light folky part do, do, in do, this. Do, 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 the do. penny whistle, the acoustic, there's oh, that yeah. amazing mandolin. Of course, mandolin, the mandolin. Yep. It's Oh, it's so darn good. So yeah, right at the start we have that mandolin, flute, penny whistle, slurry, beautiful, amazing combo. Acoustic guitar comes in, and and that folk tune, whether it's an actual historic folk tune or it's just something that Ian made up, that travels with us throughout the song. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I was kind of finding fascinating about the construction of the song, and this is a longer song. Yeah, six and a half. That folk tune keeps coming back. And then alongside of it, or opposed to it almost, we have the really heavy rock feel. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like they are vying for attention almost or they're they're sort of waves that rise up and cover each other it's really really interesting we get that first solid mouthful of the folk but then it's not it doesn't take too terribly long to get in the fairly rocking sound martin's electric comes in we get heavier drums but we don't lose that folk element they all meld there's a melange and they they mix together very nicely 
yeah, it's really, really cool. I love that just about every time Ian sings part of the machine, we have that <laughs> yeah. mournful, like, soul-ripping guitar. Part of the machine. The construction of this song reminds me more of some of the stuff that we haven't heard in a long time. You know, passion play almost. Ooh. Not the specific sounds of it, but just the way that it's constructed with all those different musical changes. Yeah. Within one oeuvre. I get it. I definitely concur with that. Yeah, it's it's very complex. I think this is a fabulous song. I don't know why it wasn't included in the initial release, at least on the CD, but maybe it wasn't yeah, right. mastered yet. Maybe it was a time issue. Maybe it, maybe Ian didn't think it was it was worth it, or maybe it, he felt like it stood out. I do think it kind of stands out from the rest of the material, but in a good way. For having such a, a folk element, I understand not wanting it in there. You know, the the closest we get is we get a little look, we get some acoustic on like Waking Edge and stuff, but we never have that feel with like the penny whistle, which really takes it. Yes, that's true. To a different level. So I see how it doesn't fit there. Frankly, this could have been a bonus track on Heavy Horses and I wouldn't have thought twice. Absolutely. I think what it, what this track does share with the rest of Crest of a Knave is the incredible kind of prime Martin Barr work. Mm-hmm. And the really cohesive, heavy sound between David Pegg and Martin and Ian. And there's so many layers. The, the, the thing that I love about the song is it, it gets so layered. Yeah. I don't know who the drummer was. Oh, yeah. Mystery. If it was programmed, because it's not listed anywhere that I've seen. At two minutes and 30 seconds in, Martin starts his first solo, which I, as I was writing down, I wrote down, Martin melts my bones. <laughs> that is how I end up being an octopus. That's it. This is the moment you become a cephalopod. Bones a melty. Yeah. 30 seconds later, the flute solo comes in. It's really heavily structured, kind of going back to that folk sound with the bass underneath David Pegg energetically going along. And then the mandolin comes in. And then it's built on with another flute layer, changes several times. And then we have the electric guitar coming in as well. It just keeps layering and layering every every time that I thought like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. It just would add a new layer and it, it just builds a really, really rich, complex broth. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go back to our our idea of how this does fit in this album. You sonically it yes. does. I think context-wise it does as well. I think the when we get into the lyrics, I think it yes. would be out of place on Heavy Horses, but it does fit very well here. I very much agree. And finally, I just want to I just want to gush over the mandolin just one more time. I love that little that little phrase that we hear every now and then. Dee, 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 dee. 
<laughs> oh, I love it so much. It's it just makes me smile. It's so lovely. Yeah. The doctor gave you a prescription for mandolins. And my prescription almost ran out. Thank God. Part of the machine just refilled it. It said take as needed. And I took the whole bottle. <laughs> All of them. Because uh, you looked at the mandolins and you said, I think you're just what I needed. <laughs> yep, exactly so. Speaking of Ian's voice, I love the range that he mm. gets on this song mm-hmm. with his voice. There's some moments, let me see if I can find the exact lyric. I wish I had an eagle like you. I wish I had an eagle like you. It's almost like Cat Stevensy, where he's just like you. You can imagine him singing that to a little baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the um, he could be my wings to fly in a big bird sky. He could be my wings to fly in a big bird sky. I know it's so tender. He gets so breathy. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And then toward the end, we get part of the machine, yeah. and it sounds like a pirate ate Tom Waits <laughs> and gained his powers. He does fluctuate a lot like the instruments do in this one. He shows a lot of texture in this, more so than usual. And it's great. It's so fun. I think that's why we're both having such a positive reaction to this song, because all the songs, I don't think there's a bad song off this album. But if you look at Steel Monkey, for instance, the starter track, Mm -hmm. it does, if you look at the spectrum of all of music. (laughs) All of music. Every music. Okay, take a step back. Yep. Look at music. Go. Put on your distant your distance glasses. I would say that Steel Monkey fills or occupies a, f- a fairly thin band. It's got it within that spectrum. It's you know sure. it's um it's got the rocking guitar. It's got the drum machine. And it just kind of stays its course. This song is a much broader band. It doesn't encompass all of music, let's say, but it is a broader band than a lot of the other stuff on this album because it has more contrast it has more different types of melodies it has more different types of instruments and it has more vocal dynamics and rhythm changes yeah (sighs) yeah it's refreshing it's fun it's kind of a little taste we're i mean we're going into oh no the catfish isn't next never mind what are we going into rock island is is the next album that is one with which I am very not familiar. Yeah, likewise. Rock Island and Roots are pretty much brand new listens for me, um, which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. I've listened to Roots to Branches more. Yeah. Do you know that it, it was originally titled Rock Isthmus? What Roots to Branches was? No. Or Rock Island? <laughs> Rock Island. Rock Isthmus? I mean, that's that's pretty on par for what, for for a Jethro Tull song. Or yeah, it album. would be. It yeah. would be, yeah. Rock a flute. <laughs> Rock a pelago. Rock a pelago would work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Rock isthmus. So you. So an island is. I mean, let's. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it on the next album. <laughs> we, we don't have to. <laughs> Nick, hello. Welcome. Omen. Hi. Hi, hi. So we're going to start off this half today with another writer-inner, a return writer-inner, I should say, Folky Phil. Hey, Folky Phil writes back in. Folky Phil, welcome back. Great to hear from you, as always. He says, thanks for including my ramblings about March the Bad Scientist in the recent edition of Talk Told to Me. I'm glad that you found my theories enlightening. 
I've just listened to the latest podcast, Dogs in Midwinter, a fine dissection as always, and a few points of interest occurred to me. You mentioned the lyric, Doggies in the Manger, and wondered if there was a biblical connection. I guess there is, as The Last Supper is also mentioned, along with Money Changers, who also featured in a pivotal scene from Christ's life. It's when he opened his first bank account. He was yeah, so oh excited. God, I love that part. So excited. It's when he cashes the blank check for a million dollars. Yeah, and he gets away with it for like yeah. a couple of weeks. However, the idiom, a dog in the manger, has a specific meaning. Oh, although it is a saying that has fallen out of common usage these days, I guess. It means that someone takes something that they have no use for just to spite and frustrate those who would have a use for it. Oh, interesting. Like, there's no... You don't need a dog in the manger. Therefore, doggies in the manger turning last suppers into feasts is what? An allusion to greed, to corruption, to capitalism? Yes, 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 I think. Oh. Yeah. It's somebody's last supper, but the doggy is turning it into a feast. And the doggy shouldn't be there. It doesn't need to be there. Right. Wow. It's big pharma taking my last dollar for my insulin and it's just a drop in the bucket for them but it's it's either my insulin or my insurance bill you know yeah i think that's that's what that is i think i follow you there yeah i, I like it that's really really cool doggy dogs in the manger doggies in the manger yeah yeah very nice very very good note phil there thank you for that and another thing he brings up Going back to Old Ghosts, he says, I wondered whether you'd seen the video, which presents a series of AI-created images drawn from the lyrics of Old Ghosts. So it's that wacky mid-journey program that just creates stuff and uh, is put to the lyrics and then therefore the song of Old Ghosts. Wow. Yeah, I put the link in the show notes for you if you guys want to take a look at it. It's very, very cool. Very cool. And... He wraps up this email with keep talking and all the best, Folky Phil, still looking for signs of spring on Preston Platform. <laughs> Folky Phil, thank you so much for writing in. It's it's always really a treat and, and a privilege to hear the tidbits from all of our listeners bringing the light to our dark corner of, uh, of Tolkienology. Genuinely, it's really, really great. And, you know, your offering about artificial intelligence is, uh, is well taken. We actually replaced ourselves mm-hmm. with AI versions of ourselves about a year ago. Yeah. Oddly enough, my voice is the AI version of Omen. Yeah, it didn't get it right entirely, yeah. but it but it works. It's fine. It's strange. He shot a follow-up very quickly after he sent the first one. Okay. <laughs> it says, hi again. I meant to add, if you want to get a taste of general opinion on the Crest album, read the reviews here. And he provides a link to the progarchives.com for all of the the reviews for Crest. Great. Also, which I have put a link to in the show notes. He says, They are a mixed bag and all posted years ago. Some are rather snotty, but are mostly intelligent and reflect the range of tastes in the prog world. Generally, people rather like it or are disappointed by it to various degrees. That's fair enough. But as with all Tall's later albums, Crest has matured and is weathering impressively into its own middle age. It passed the test of time. Cheerio, Folky Phil. Amazing. And I think that is a beautiful, perfect segue to go into the reviews for this album. Omen, generally, we rely on you for reviews. Did you find anything from Rolling Stone? Negatory. 
Very strange. I know they've taken a pass on a lot of the Tull albums, but the fact that this won the Grammy, you would think they would have stepped in. I did a little digging around Rolling Stone, deigned not to review it, at least as far as I could tell. And yeah, to your point, I think that reviews typically happen in advance of an album's release or just at the release of an album, whereas the Grammys could happen up to a year later. That's super valid, yeah. It's possible that the timing of it meant that Rolling Stone just wasn't interested. They probably wrote about the debacle. Yeah. And you know what? Interesting note about the Grammys. I was, we just had the Grammys here in the States, and Beyonce, after having released an absolute frickin' masterpiece, if you haven't listened to Renaissance, get it into your ears. It's amazing. It's so well, it's like prog pop. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, it's really, I can't say enough about it. Come back next week for... Blab Beyonce to me? I wouldn't yeah, use, I wouldn't use Blab. I'll work on it. Workshopping. Go on. Yeah. Blather. Blather. I like that. Blather Beyonce to me. Yeah. And it did not win album of the year. Instead, Harry Styles won album of the year for his, his twee skinny boy pop music. And I was kind of thinking like, well, why is that the case? I mean, Beyonce has gotten a lot of Grammys, but never for best album. And I read something that, that was talking about the history of the Grammys. And the Grammys actually started in the 1950s to reward what they called quote unquote good music Hmm. as opposed to the rock and roll of the day that was influencing the youth and introducing them to concepts like hips and black people. Yeah. And it seems like the Grammys have always been several decades behind and still are. I mean, all award shows are all of those big ones, but she did just, she did just break the record for the most Grammys ever won. Yeah, but not for best album. Right. But I mean, she's working her way there. She's going to break that ceiling. Anyway, I was looking around and it seemed like the most cogent review that I could find was listed on the site seaoftranquility.org. <laughs> it is it is a review about the Jethro Tull Crest of an A of a remaster that came out in 2005. We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, aren't we? <laughs> and it was written by Steve Pettengill. Oh, he changed his name. <laughs> he, he left Rolling Stone, created his own, own he blog. Went, he went into the Witness Protection Program. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never know it is I, Stephen Peacock. <laughs> All right, the review reads... The excellent Jethro Tull remaster series continues with Crest of a Knave, the album that rather infamously won the band a Grammy for their best hard rock heavy metal performance in 1988. Though Crest of a Knave is not at all heavy metal, and only occasionally hard rock, it probably still stands as Jethro Tull's best album from the 80s, a decade that saw a spate of mediocre Tull products, such as... Under wraps and Rock Island. Ho 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 ho! There, Steve. We'll we'll have words. Bold bold claims. You clearly didn't really listen to Under Wraps. The tracks that still hold up the best are the Epic's Farm on the Freeway and Budapest, both of which still regularly appear at Jethro Tull gigs. Another old favorite is "She Said She Was a Dancer," a ballad that owes a hell of a lot to Mark Knopfler, especially Ian Anderson's newly gravelly vocals and Martin Barr's clean and fluid guitar tone. Can't really argue there. Parts of the album have not aged so well, especially the tracks that bookend the album. Steel Monkey is still a catchy tune, but those drum machines are better suited to the background music for an episode of Miami Vice, as opposed to the driving rhythm of a Jethro Tull song. 
Raising Steam is a frankly duff track that is once again completely antiquated by the tacky synthesizers. Likewise, the production is unusually stiff by Jethro Tull's standards, with little to no separation between the instruments. I, I have thoughts about all that. <laughs> Even the acoustic snare drums sound rather processed. Thankfully, the remaster is redeemed by the excellent bonus track, Part of the Machine, which originally appeared on the 20 Years of Jethro Tull box set. While not perfect, Crest of a Knave is one of the better Tull albums of the past 25 years. Though Martin Barr's guitar tone is considerably different here than on the albums like Aqualung or Songs from the Wood, he's technically never been better. I think what he means is he's never been technically better. Yes, correct. In many ways, the album's greatest strength is that it shows just how underrated Martin Barr is. Another vital asset is that Ian Anderson's lyrics are as sharp and perceptive as ever. Overall, a solid latter-day Jethro Tull release. Okay. I see the point that the the drum machine and the synths age it. I'm not sure what he's on about, about the, the mixing being stiff, but maybe that is for more refined ears than ours to appreciate. I mean, I think that we've talked a lot about how great Martin is on this album. I don't think that we're that Stephen Pentagill, if that's <laughs> your real name. I don't think he's going to get any argument from us on that. Yeah. And I feel like if you're going to appreciate an album, you have to look past the things that date it because every album has things that date it. Right. You know, when I listen to Kesha, which I do often, some of those synth created riffs they sound very you know early 2000s because they were and they Mm. sound awesome right i don't think oh well that track doesn't hold up because it has that particular filter on the on the synth right they didn't write the album for you steven in 2005 they wrote it for their audience in 1987 (laughs) right i think it holds up better than than the this this writer says and uh and i would i would have in my review of the album that doesn't exist, I would point out more about how timely it was and how how much Ian's lyrics really bring to the zeitgeist. Yeah, I like it. I appreciate it. Any review clippets that you want to bring to the smorgasbord? I do. I do have a couple. I have some from the magazine Sounds. During their review, they refer to Steel Monkey and Farm on the Freeway as stunners. Okay. What year is this review? Oh, this was, I think this was contemporary. Okay. Yeah. The overall evaluation was that, quote, In a shrewd move, Ian Anderson has studied the current heavy metal renewal and adapted it to suit his own ends, and the results are impressive, to say the least, end quote. Although in the end, they do end up comparing the album with the style of Mark Knopfler, the review would go on to say that, quote, But in his efforts to stay hip, the hairy progressive rock guru has fallen prey not just to the influence of modern pop's more inspiring aspects, but also to its foulest evils. The rank odor of Mark Knopfler pervades the remainder of Crest. Shamefully and cruelly, the album is snuffed out. It's a pity in all its seriousness. Wow. You know, I think that maybe we are not privy to what the cultural influence of Mark Knopfler at the time was, because it sounds like everyone is kind of obsessed. With good reason, Mark Knopfler's fabulous. And then one more, I've got some snippets from All Music. Their review came a little bit later after the release. 
they called the album the best tall album since Heavy Horses. Okay. But they also state, the truth is, it isn't a bad album, with an opening track that qualifies as hard rock and pretty much shouts its credentials out in Martin Barr's screaming lead guitar line present throughout. Jumpstart and Raising Steam also rock hard, and no one can complain of too much on this record being soft, apart from the acoustic The Waking Edge, along with Budapest and She Said She Was a Dancer, Anderson's two aging rock stars I view accounts of meeting women from around the world. Mm -hmm. The anti-war song Mountain Men is classic tall-styled electric folk, all screaming electric guitars at a pretty high volume by its end. I mean, not wrong? Yeah. I'm surprised that there's not more analysis of the writing overall. I know. I, I wonder if, I mean, do people go to album reviews for the writing content, though? Do album reviewers listen to the album and read the lyrics? I, I can't answer that. I don't know the answer to that. When I went to a uh, reviewing school... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The joke had fewer legs than... <laughs> now that that joke is a worm, let's worm our way out of this segment. Okay, Omen. Part of the machine. Just what the hey is this song about? This, um... Yeah, this, uh... This took me a couple listens to get any foothold at all. It's a bit... I don't think it's intentionally layered to be complex and slightly sneaky. No, I think it's more that we're just very dense. Or the context is very dense and we're just vapid and hollow. <laughs> Either way works. <laughs> Either way, it's a struggle. Well, yeah. you know, part of the machine already as a title, I feel like gives you an in or it gives you the illusion of an in one way or the other mm -hmm. it reminds me of pink floyd's another brick in the wall oh sure yeah the idea of you know this this modern idea that your late 20th century idea that that the world is a machine yeah or that society is a machine right yeah i think that's it i mean that we are cogs in the machine it's not a terribly uncommon phrase we are just the moving pieces that move bigger pieces, and they move bigger pieces, and they move bigger pieces. And I think that the 80s was a time of growing awareness of globalization. And I would say it was a bit of a technological boom, too. Definitely. Yeah. And, and those two things begot each other. You mm -hmm. know, the more, tech, the more technology that we had, the more connected we could be communication-wise, meaning the more integrated the world economy could become meaning that various people had more control over it and i and i do think that that this song fits very much in the american context of that journey you know we've talked a lot about this album as jethro tull's american album yeah this is a note that i really did want to hit particularly the imagery of the eagle hit it the bald eagle is the symbol of the states, of the United States. He mentions eagle a lot, but he does specifically say, still that old bald eagle circles. Still that old bald eagle circles. So it is a bald yeah. eagle. Bald eagles are not endemic to the UK. They never have been. They're not now. 
do have some other eagles over there, I think. They do. They have a the apparently they have a white-tailed eagle that gets commonly mistaken for the bald eagle. But the tail is on the butt. The head is on <laughs> the head. <laughs> yeah. And it's really it's really difficult not to make this connection whether he wanted it to be or not, and I don't think he's obtuse enough to not know that he's making this connection. Ian doesn't really make lyrical mistakes, I think. Yeah. Y- you know, maybe a comma or a period could get slipped in by an editor, but I think that we can assume that any word that's on here is very intentional. Yeah. Everybody's jumping on the circus train, while some jump high, some jump off again. Everybody's jumping on the circus train. Well, some jump high, some jump off again. A lot of the imagery that's on here, the train, the razzmatazz, crosses nailed speak to a lot of the imagery that is used in politics in the states Mm. which interestingly enough further on we get politics politics in the pockets of their sunday best shaking hands kissing babies for all they're worth oh they promise you gold promise heaven on earth politics in the pockets of their sunday best so I think that what we kind of have to do to look at this song is is think about what was the American political landscape like at the time that Ian was writing this. Mm. And the American political landscape was Ronald Reagan. Goo. Goo. Still very popular. A lot of people say that he was our best president. They're wrong. They're, they're wrong. The reason I think Reagan stuck so deeply in the American imagination is because he created a narrative around America versus the rest of the world. It was still pre-Gorbachev. It was still very much the U.S. against the USSR. There was a lot of nuclear tension. Reagan, he invested heavily in the military. He came up with this idea or he spoke about this idea of the space shield. Oh, yeah. Protect the U.S. from any nuclear attacks. Was that Star Wars? They, they called it Star Wars, didn't they? I think they may have done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was anti-communist, so he was funding all these wars and, and coups across the country mm-hmm. that were trying to take out communist governments. It didn't really matter, you know, who they were replaced with. And that has come to bite us in the butt. Yeah, M- many instances recently, yeah. Reagan was also the proponent of trickle-down economics, everyone's favorite. Also lovingly referred to as Reaganomics. Yep, Reaganomics. Ultimately, what all of that did was create a very socially insular moment for a lot of Americans. Yeah. In terms of international relations, you know, it was always them and us. We're better. But also, I think it laid the groundwork for a lot of the inequality that we have here. I mean, the other thing that Reagan did was the war on drugs. Yeah. That was Nancy, but still. Yeah. And eventually the drugs won. I fought the drugs and the drugs Drugs won. won. But that also laid the groundwork for a lot of the disenfranchisement and violence against uh, black people in the United States. And gross incarceration for negligible offense. Super gross. Yeah. So gross. So this this song is basically setting the groundwork for all of that. 
right? Well, I think that is the machine in question. Yes. Yeah, the the American machine, the political machine, yeah. Right. And we are we are the cogs in that machine, whether the whether we're the ones being arrested, whether we're the soldiers going to those wars, whether we're the politicians fighting for that bill to be passed, we're all doing our part, quote unquote, to be this machine, which in their eyes was a greater transformation. Yeah. And, and then the, the amazing thing that Ian implies with this song is, to my reading, this image of the eagle who's supposedly above it all mm-hmm. and references the people who might feel, yeah, okay, all that's happening, but I'm actually outside of that. I've, I've decided to live off the grid. I've gone up to the mountains. Right, yeah. Whether they're literal mountains or whether they are an ivory tower of, of intellectualism or something. Yeah. Smart guys aren't running. That could mean running for office, as as it relates to the previous stanza. Right. They're home and dry up in the mountains where the eagles fly. They wouldn't take that job offered on a plate. They got to fly with the eagle, and he won't wait. The smart guys aren't running, the home and dry. Up in the mountains where the eagle flies. They wouldn't take that job offered on a plate. They got to fly with the But all of that separation starts to fall apart throughout the course of the song, realizing that even no matter how separate you are from this from this society, you are still part of the machine. And even the eagle, which is the most free of all, is used as a symbol mm-hmm. to get people to buy into this us versus them mentality. Yeah, yeah, the the eagle's eyes reflect innocence. The eagle is something to look up to. The eagle is enviable. The eagle flies up above the whole machine, but he's become just another part of the machine by the end of the the song. And at this time in the 80s, all the eagles were dying from DET. Yeah, that's true. Delirium tremens, right? <laughs> they, were, they were so drunk. There was a chemical used in pesticides that would trickle down through the food chain speaking about trickle down yeah right and accumulate in fishes and things that eagles would eat and they would die or or they wouldn't die but their eggs would be unable to hatch super soft yeah they yeah they weren't hard enough soft boiled eagle egg delicious a little bit of toast dip your soldier in so the eagle population crashed now it's coming back now we have we have bald eagles nesting in our in our back pond yeah when we were in connecticut i saw i saw them fairly regularly yeah but i still get a thrill because when i was a kid you know they did have that mythical status yes right yeah and it's actually interesting you know if you if you look at the eagle and the metaphor in this song and look at the environmental aspect of it it's like the eagle becomes rarer and more useful as a symbol the more rare the population gets and the system which it's supporting is actually bringing down its population numbers and therefore strengthening that metaphor. Yeah. It's gross and perfect. It really works in this this imagery of the machine of an unstoppable steadily evolving. It's like it's almost like the matrix when they come out of the matrix and it's just run by all these machines that are designed to do this one thing and keep keep the perfect Right, right. The perfect situation of the land, and it just so happens to 
use humans as, as cattle, but yeah, I mean, that's what we're trained to do. That's what we're raised up to do is to be the part. Like we, we do our part for capitalism and that's it. And I think that's where that realization at the end of the song, till the truth creeps up unseen, they see themselves in the faces of their children and they realize they too are part of the machine. Till the truth creeps up unseen see themselves in the faces of their children and realize they too are part of the machine. You just had more more workers. Yeah. More cogs, yeah. More vessels for intellectual colonialism. Yeah, more people that will want to buy a pair of blue jeans. Could be anything. I mean, they all they all work toward one overarching goal and then what is very a little dystopian disturbing is at the very end ian sings hey let's be part of the machine part of the machine part of the machine part of the machine i want to be part of the machine i want to be part of your machine part of your machine hey let's be part of the machine is that the kind of resistance is futile reverse psychology that's kind of what i i got from it what's the you can't escape the borg or whatever that's resistance is futile yeah okay yeah we will your your cultural and technological uniqueness will be will be added to our own yeah yeah that's what it is i quite like the borg they're such a good enemy i don't know much about star trek but like that is one reference that i have for some reason and i don't know why it's so good i love man star trek is great I have a question about the album as a whole. Yes, I think we should do a very, very brief little review. Album recap. Yeah. So, Crest of the Wave, Crest of the Nave, slash Crest of the Wave. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the title alludes to a feeling in Ian that's like, this is the last hurrah, it's all downhill from here? Is this the Crest of the Tall Wave? I don't foresee him ever being at that point. I mean, he's always been a stalwart champion of his own creative product. I mean, I guess as long as we've known him, quote unquote, you know, I mean, maybe it was different back then. But I mean, it's difficult to separate those two, Crest of a Wave and Crest of a Knave. But I'm trying to think of what that could be positively. You know, the crest of the wave is right before it crashes down with a lot of force, maybe, you know. It also has that suspension. It's that suspension point. Is And in that moment, you can feel a sense of infinity, hmm. a sense of weightlessness. It's right when you are about to surf. Could be a surfing reference. Could be. <laughs> Not sure it is. Mm. Mahalo. Something to think about. Very briefly, one or two sentences. Crest of a knave. Learn anything? Did it change any opinions? Is there something you don't like now? Something you like more than you ever expected to? 
for all the critiques of this album that I've heard, no one has ever said what my actual critique of the album is, and, and that is that it doesn't feel like it has as strong a through line as some of the other albums. Yeah, we get some commentary and we get some travel romance, life on the road. America. Yeah, America. It's even less cohesive than, say, like Aqualung was. I think for me, I love each of these songs individually. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel a strong... I haven't gained what I thought what I was going to with this album, which is a strong sense of how they work together. And maybe they don't, and that's okay. Maybe they don't, and that's okay. Maybe that was they were that was never the intention or even the subconscious intention. Sure. It seems a bit jarring for a tall album to be this way, but I mean we certainly can't hold this to a standard that the other ones presented themselves at. One of the things I really like about it though is it feels very essentialized. Mm. You know, I think that I think that the critique of saying, "Oh yeah, Ian is doing his best to adapt to the whims of the time." I think that's absolute nonsense. Yeah. And I think that what this album does offer is a very again, essentialized view of what is tall with this rotating cast of drummers, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You get a little bit more to what is the core of it. Yeah. What about for you? What have you learned? What have you unlearned? I definitely learned the meaning of like all of the songs. I don't think I I really ever cottoned on to anything cohesively, solidly, confidently. So that's nice. I, I do like being able to go back to this and, and go in with a, a bit more knowledge as the scaffolding to the song itself. And I, I really I really came to appreciate the music a bit more, just being able to hear it in a much more minute fashion. So yeah, yeah. just a, a, a renewed appreciation for the album. Yeah. So moving on to Rock Island, this is, for me, a little bit into the unknown. We're going to go even more into the unknown because we've got one song we're going to do pre-Rock Island. So skip next week and come back in two weeks if you want just Rock Island. I will. It'll be just me. Like maybe a week ago, present time, by the time you hear this, it'll be 30 years. But the uh, in our Discord, Discord member Brian from Oregon asked in, just randomly asked, are you guys ever going to do Motorize? And I was like, you know, we're doing a lot from Nightcap, from the second album of Nightcap. So yeah, probably. And then I went to look at the album of the second album of Nightcap and it's not on there. So it's like, where the hell is Motorize? Turns out it was one of the tracks off of the 20 year compilation came with like four discs. It, it, this one is specifically off of flawed gems and other sides. Okay. And I'm putting it here because the 20 years dropped in 1988. So chronologically, we're perfect. We've got Crest at 87, Flawed Gems at 88, Rock Island at 89. There you go. Can't argue with that. The timing was pretty perfect, Brian. So, so thank you for that. And you too can be a part of that conversation on Discord and remind us of things that we have missed and forgotten. You can be a part of the Patreon machine when you join for just $5 a month. That machine gets you two additional podcasts as well as access to our Discord. They're hitching their wagons and rolling out west, but they can't do that without supplies. Specifically, what they're going to need is five stars in those wagons, not just one star. 
<laughs> but five. Yes, please change to five stars. And then finally, are your women folk unveiled? Okay. Oh, Veil them with Talk Tall to Me branded merch. But only if they consent, please. You can get the aforementioned merch from the Tee Public page found in our show notes. Until then, I am kissing babies, Omen Thomas said. I'm the razzmatazz that's rolling, Nick McGill. We wonder if we're keeping our tail feathers clean, the feckless moms. And this is that old bald eagle that circles. Talk tell to me. Mr. President, they're waiting for you. Here's your speech. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. It's just such an honor to serve with you. It was a joy. Now uh, go get me a coffee. And now the 32nd President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> my fellow Americans, it's been the honor of my life to be your president. So many of you have written the past few weeks to say thanks, but I could say as much to you. Nancy and I are grateful for the opportunity you gave us to serve. Jay Freebird! Secret Service, take care of that, please. Oh, God! One of the things about the presidency is that you're always somewhat apart. You spend a lot of time going by too fast in a car someone else is driving and seeing the people through tinted glass. The parents holding up a child and the wave you saw too late and couldn't return. Uh, we've taken care of him. Uh, he's, he's gone off to the new psychology program. He'll be a weapon of war at any minute now, thank you. And so many times I wanted to stop and reach out from behind the glass and to connect. And well, maybe I can do a little of that tonight. Before I leave office, I just wanted to give my fellow Americans, you, my people, a recommendation. I think the best way to bring unity to our country is to all listen to a podcast called Talk Told to Me, which I'm sure all of you very well know is a proud member of the Feckless Moans Audio Network. Come on, Nancy, let's get the f*** out of here. <laughs>